Now, Destination Anywhere with Melanie Olivero. Hello, hello, and welcome to Destination Anywhere on CNA 938. Always lovely to be in your company around the world in 41 days with Destination Anywhere today. All of that on a helicopter or two. Welcome, I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938. I'm presently in the company of John Paul or J.P. Thorpe Jonsson. He is an Australian technopreneur and former pilot with the Royal Australian Air Force. J.P. previously completed a 10,000 nautical mile journey across 21 countries in 41 days aboard his Airbus ACH-130 Aston Martin edition helicopter. And very soon, well, in 2026, he'll soon triple the distance to 30,000 nautical miles, traversing seven continents and 300 flight hours with breaks in between, of course. He even bought a brand new Airbus ACH-125 single-engine helicopter to go on this ambitious voyage. So two helicopters. Well, I should know all of this because I saw JP signing an agreement to purchase this copter with Airbus at the Singapore Air Show 2024. Well, JP won't be alone in the skies, of course. He's now gathering a team and doing lots and lots of meticulous planning. Welcome to CNA 938 JP. Thanks for having us, Mel. <laughs> I met you at the Singapore Air Show 2024 and you've been flying as a team. So why choose corporate helicopters in particular to fly around the world? Because you did this before when you took the ACH-130 through to those 21 countries from England to Australia. Yeah, so I did that journey 12 months ago. I picked up the 130 helicopter in England and I flew it through Europe, through Saudi Arabia, through India, through Asia. I actually passed through Singapore about a year ago on my way to Australia. That was a year ago. But why corporate helicopters, though? This machine is perfect for the, the trip. It's a 1,000 horsepower, seat seven, but I can actually remove the rear four seats and fill, uh, fill up bags, crew, survival equipment, and life raft, etc. People, people are thinking of the, the classic helicopters we see, those that you know, can't be in the air for too long. But this one is, these are different, aren't they, JP? No, they're exactly the uh, the aircraft, the machine that you could go if you went into okay. the Grand Canyon or if you went to Twelve Apostles Australia and you flew around the Twelve Apostles in those helicopters. It's basically the same machine. It's a very, very capable machine. Plenty of power, plenty of range, plenty of endurance, and it can uh, the the ceiling of the helicopter, like in this trip in uh, 2026, will be taken past Mount Everest. So we and that's 28,000 feet. While we won't, may not get to the top. We can certainly fly past at 12, 15,000 feet, no problems. Mount Everest, yeah? Yes. So nice. Okay, you're going to tell me about that in just a while. You're going on this more than 30,000 nautical mile journey with a team, flying the ACH-130 Aston Martin helicopter and the Airbus 125 helicopter. For non-aviation experts and enthusiasts, JP, can you tell us how these helicopters are being modified to travel to both the North and the South Poles in sub-zero temperatures? Yeah, that's a good question. So the configuration that I selected with Airbus under their advice for the H125, and I'll mod my 130 up to the same level, it will be suitably equipped for the snow conditions with bare paws. Uh, we will have uh, emergency floats to fly over long water, over water distances. We will fit it out with a RADALT and synthetic vision, terrain mapping software, so we can monitor for terrain, which is one of the risks of the trip. Uh, we'll also have... Uh, uh, air to air TCAS, so uh, traffic avoidance system, so we'll be able to monitor where both helicopters are. 
And what I remember you told us in the in the press conference that you're also adding things so that it can glide on water, something like that? Oh, so that's an emergency float. So if we ever have an issue, uh, we can basically pop the floats instead of, instead of the helicopter sinking very quickly, you pop the emergency floats and you can stay in the water for 12 hours while you get rescued. But obviously that's, we hope that never happens. <laughs> so you press the button and the floats will... The floats pop out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Like a big balloon. Like a big balloon. And keep the helicopter bobbing in the ocean. But we hope that for that, for that to never happen. Of course, of course. We're not going to even think about it. But the thing is that, just one more about that though, how long can the helicopter keep afloat when those floats are engaged? So they're certified for, I believe, 12 hours. So instead oh. of being 30 seconds sinking in cold icy water, jumping out into your life raft, you've got 12 hours to plan the whole exit <laughs> and make some radio calls and jump on the sat phone or, I don't know, Starlink. We'll have Starlink. But your question is why two helicopters? Yeah. Yeah, so so far I've only done it with a single helicopter from England to Australia. Yeah. Uh, but two helicopters enable us to be a lot more safe. One machine can rescue the other if anything goes wrong because we're going through some pretty crazy terrain and, and parts of the world. But also it's a big jumping capability because I do plan to film this and share it with the world. So we'll be able to have a camera on or a specialized uh, cinema camera on the smaller helicopter to film the Aston Martin 130 as we traverse around the world and invite people along the journey as well. Which means one person has to be the camera person. Yeah, so we plan to travel with a team of four <laughs> and uh, there will be two very adventurous camera operators with us and I'm looking for my uh, second pilot as we speak. So that means this is going to be made into a documentary. Yeah, we hope to film it into a bit of a TV series and we're working on uh, partner selections for that. But fundamentally, we just want to share it with the world. What we're doing is pretty crazy. We've got modern technology to be able to do that and modern ways to achieve travel. And we want to show the world that you can actually, there are unexplored places that we, uh, you know, we great to go visit using modern technology. Okay. So many, so many, uh, so many birds with one single stone or two of them because there are two helicopters here. Hey, JP, I saw painted or pasted on the body of the of of the the one twenty five helicopter VHBTC. So tell us about that VHBTC. Um, I thought you were going to ask me that. So VH <laughs> is the Australian part of the registration. Every country has has like a, a designator. But the Bravo Tango Charlie is short for Bitcoin. So if you're wondering how I can afford two helicopters, it's because early Bitcoin adopter. And I tell everyone just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, so you're an early Bitcoin adopter. And VH would stand for? It stands for Australia and ICAO designation. I see. So okay. something like America is N, November. England is G. Uh, Germany is Mike. Yeah, so Australia is VH. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, let's talk about your route, JP. 50 countries will be covered thereabouts. Can you trace the basic routes for us and will Singapore again be one of your stops? Absolutely. So we'll, yeah. we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave Australia. We'll travel over Indonesia to Singapore. Great spot here. I love our top uh, jumping in. with uh, flew actually one week ago into Singapore yeah. for the first time ever in a helicopter. And it's quite unusual to be a, a helicopter in Singapore. So I love being here. So we'll make sure we'll stop by Singapore in two years' time. Then we keep going up through India. Uh, well, that's where we fly up to Kathmandu, past the Himalayas. Yeah. Then across through Pakistan, Oman. So Saudi Arabia, uh, Egypt, into Europe. Then from there, we'll go up to Norway. Uh, Svalbard's the last point in Norway. Then we cross over to the North Pole. Uh, and the North Pole is actually a giant floating ice sheet. Yeah. So we'll have to find the North Pole on the ice. And then over the top into Greenland, Canada, North America, Central America, South America, down to Chile. Then the Drake Passage into Antarctica. 
go through Antarctica, across the South Pole, pop out the other side near the bottom of South Africa and make our way up through Madagascar and then uh, into Dubai. Okay, so I said just now that this is going to be taking some 300 flight hours, but realistically, when we, including the stops and everything, how long will this take? Look, it has to take a minimum of calendar six months because we can't enter the North Pole until just prior to summer. So winter's obviously too cold and summer, all the ice melts. So that causes problems for uh, getting the fuel uh, onto the ice sheet. And then the same situation for Antarctica. So we can't uh, obviously enter in winter, it's way too cold. But just before summer, we were able to enter, chase the fuel down and push through. Six months, huh? Yeah, so six calendar months. But 300 flight hours will take you, it's about six weeks worth of flying. Okay, all right. Now, how long will a usual stop be? And what do you plan to typically do at each country? We know we have visions of you holidaying and living it up. I don't think that's going to happen. I think. <laughs> well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> We're not trying to break any records here. We're actually just trying to go on an adventure yeah. and have people join us for the way and almost have uh, tour guides along the journey and for them to share with their experiences in the local areas. So typically, we will check into a country on an international airport and then we'll hop into a domestic airport depending on the sector. Uh, but we actually want to like experience the journey with the locals and and local people. So we'll try and keep things slow and methodical and enjoyable. So I'm thinking maybe two or four days, something like that? Yeah, typically we'll probably do five to eight hours of flying a day. So that's 500 to 800 nautical miles, about a thousand kilometers a day. So that means that uh, every other day you're making a stop? Yeah, so we'll probably fly, have a day off, fly again. Okay, all right. Because these are helicopters we're talking about, yeah? Yeah. You will also be heading to Mount Everest, like you said just now, something you're very excited about. I think it's something everyone is excited about. But how high can the helicopters go? You said that just now. How high can it go up to Mount Everest? So the top of Mount Everest is 28,000 feet. So the air density is something like two-thirds what it is right now. And you can't actually survive it there. You'll pass out straight away, practically. So you need oxygen. So for people hiking Mount Everest, they take months of training to get up there. Uh, The helicopter... A helicopter has been flown up. Uh, the H125 Squirrel has been, uh, the, the AS350, which is the previous generation, has been flown to the top of Mount Everest, a specialized one with, they removed a lot of the unnecessary equipment on it. So while we don't, we, while we may not try to attempt to fly that high, uh, yeah. we can safely fly between 15 to 20,000 feet along the southern side of Himalayas. Okay. and But you're just going to fly there and fly back down again? Well, we will be traveling from the east side to the west side. Okay. So we, as we go up to Mount Everest, the Himalayas are hundreds of kilometers of this beautiful mountain right. uh, range. So we will fly along the southern side of the Himalayas, you know, between fifteen to 20,000 feet along the mountain ranges okay. towards Pakistan. I see. Okay. Well, it's quite a journey you're yeah. on, huh? <laughs> My goodness. You also mentioned during the press conference, JP, that you and the team will be prepared for things to go wrong. And the three factors are fuel, weather and terrain. Give us examples of the scenarios you're mentally prepared for. Yeah, so having fuel at every destination is critical to be able to, be able to achieve it, right? So our only concerns for this trip is getting the fuel to the right locations. And the, the North Pole, we're dealing with a floating ice sheet. So yeah. while we could get fuel dropped in, it may sink into the ice or it may wander off or get blown around. Uh, we'll get our logistics company to, when they deposit the fuel drops, to put a beacon on it. Mm. And so we'll fly the helicopter towards the beacon and hope that we can see it. And it should be quite well marked, but wish us luck. So that's the fuel <laughs> concerns there. Uh, the same thing has to be done in the South Pole. The, uh, the other big leg uh, or the other issue is 
terrain. Uh, but we don't uh, want to fly in any poor weather. We'll fly in day VFR yep. uh, only. So choose our best weather days. And we're not in any mad rush, so we don't need to fly in bad weather. But the helicopters are very well equipped to deal with terrain and, and terrain warning and terrain avoidance. I remember you said during the press conference, JP, that you're not here to break any records. You're not going to do this in the minimum amount of time. You don't want to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. You just want to share your adventures and your experiences with the world. That's correct, yeah. yeah. So I'm at a stage in life where you know I've taken a lot of risks and done some crazy things being formerly in the military and, and how I got to this place. So I want to dial down the risk and dial up the enjoyment factor. And I want other people to enjoy it. And if it's just going to be a crazy rush to try and break records, then it's the anxiety, stress, risk-taking is going to be out of control. It's already a significant thing to fly around the world. And the, the, these geographically sensitive and remote areas should be treated with the utmost respect and planning. So we want to do it carefully and methodically, but also to, en to enjoy it and share that enjoyment for people yeah. to come along. Completely understand. Okay, now I also understand that you're looking at recruiting helicopter pilots for this journey, but they must be familiar with the northern and southern hemispheres, the terrain, the weather, uh, and that narrows down your search because I initially thought you were going to fl be flying at least one of them. Correct. So I will fly one machine. So you will I, be flying one of I them. I will fly one machine. Okay. And uh, the second pilot, I'm looking for someone from the northern hemispheres. And the reason why is because we will encounter many problems to solve, lots of unknown unknowns. Yeah. And we have to solve them with first principles thinking and be very resourceful. So uh, the best way to approach first principles thinking is to, have, to draw upon your skills and experiences. So I have really good experience with the Southern Hemisphere, Australian-based climate, but I want a pilot, a Dash 2 pilot, to fly the second helicopter with me that's going to draw from a pool of experience from the Northern Hemisphere and perhaps further remote up in the ice sheet, something I'm not very familiar with being mm -hmm. from Australia. People to, you know, lots of mountainous uh, desert and you know, woodlands, whereas where we're going to be flying in the, in the North Pole, South Pole, it's a completely different set of environment. And uh, I'm looking for someone definitely from the Northern Hemisphere to draw upon that pool of experience from. At least several of them you're going to be interviewing. At least have two people in mind, just in case someone, for whatever reason, has to Yeah, it's a, it's a significant uh, event, a, a journey. And we, you know, we may not find the right person to do all the sectors with me. Um, yeah. We'll definitely do it myself uh, the, whole, the whole trip because I, I want to, I have to, and I yeah. always will do. And uh, the second part we may, we just have to see. I don't, I'm yet to find someone who who has yet demonstrated all the re required skills to be able to do something like that with me and keep up the pace, and but also produce the material that's required for the what we're trying to achieve here. All the very best in your search, and I know you will find them, JP. Hey, you're also saving the seat for people who can take turns to go on this journey with you and the team as you make your stop. So how do we sign up or are we too late? Uh, no, that's fine. So we what we want to do is sh share the world and, and invite uh people from around the world who can share and give us a tour of their places we pass through and, yeah. and their experiences. But we also want to be very uh, careful in who we select so that we can even help and share in humanitarian spirit at the same time because we've got the time and the resources to do that. So we don't want it to be a rushed, uh, selfish trip. We want it to be a shared uh, humanitarian-focused trip where we celebrate the technology, technology that enables us to do really cool things. So is there a place we can go to check everything out? You should just jump on to heli underscore BTC from Instagram and also Twitter. Can you say that again for ev everyone just listening because they're taking down on Absolutely. their phone? Absolutely. It's heli underscore BTC. Heli underscore BTC, everyone. JP, all the very best to you. 
Thank you very much. And thank you for coming down and sharing your future journey and adventure with all of us. John Paul or J.P. Thorpe Jonsson, he's an Australian technopreneur, former pilot with the Royal Australian Air Force and a happy globetrotter. That is a wrap of Destination Anywhere. And I'm Melanie Oliveira for CNA 938. 